0: Passed by too quickly, but I don't know if you sensed that there was just a moment that was captured by God in this place. Did you sense that last song? I just, just, you know, I I just feel like we should pray. Holy Spirit, this is your moment. It's your service, God. And we just turn everything back over to you once again, Lord. God, I just sense this morning some of us here just. God, need to be reminded that we are loved by you. Nothing will ever change that, God. And we give up the fight. We give up the struggle. God, just to rest in your promise. As Mary reminded us through her prayer, God, that, oh God, we are just so grateful for your promises for us. God, move in our midst over the word now. I pray, God, everything that has happened on this platform, everything in the next 30 minutes on this platform, God, that you would appear before us, Lord, that your presence would be so real, so captivating, that none of us would be able to leave this place without saying, God, we have met you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I just sense there 's a just just a powerful moment, so whatever God is stirring up in you i just I really just want to encourage us stay in that place, stay in that place. You know, I just thought for a moment as we were worshiping here that uh, many of us gather here every week and i 'm grateful for that, and some of us maybe maybe you 're new here or maybe haven 't been here for a while and I know that there are many questions that maybe some of you have, and one of the questions that has been brought to me this past week by several people is, why do you do what you do? Why do churches sing? Why do churches um, have words on the screen? Why is there someone who teaches And, and all that? And so we do what we do because God's word says this is what we do. Now, the question is, why did he say that? I think back to the early church. Now, this is just Weeks after Jesus had already resurrected, he had been here for 40 days, he ascends into heaven, and he gives his last instructions to his disciples, and they were absolutely just beat up to a pulp in society because of what they believed in. And so because the persecution was coming quickly against the believers, they needed strength, they needed encouragement. And that's why God says the church, the people of God, I want you to gather together at least once a week. On the first day of the week, I want you to gather together to worship, to remember my son And I just imagine these disciples, hundreds of them, going to the small houses. They didn't have places like this to go to worship. They went to homes. And I just think that some of them were so beat up during the week because they were living for Jesus. And the devil was hot after them. And there were things that were happening, good things. And there were challenging things. And they would gather together just to get some encouragement. There was that authenticity. Man, isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't he great? Aren't we so glad that we're serving him? So glad that our lives have changed. What did you go through this week? And there was this interaction and family and connection and community that was closer than a brother, closer than a blood sister. And I just think that we need to return to that today in the church. We need community. We need one another. Don't we need encouragement? So we come together because we worship him, we love him, and something happens when we sing to him. And then we come together around the word because we want to hear from God. And I think those early believers, when they left those little homes, after having church in those homes, they were ready to go and tackle whatever God wanted them to do that week. They were encouraged. They were built up. They were strengthened. And my hope is that when we leave here today, we leave differently than we walked in. Honestly, I could live on that one song that Mary just sang and Molly, and we can go home, I'm fine, I'm good, I've met the Lord, I've had Him. And God, I am ready, God, whatever you want me to do. Amen? So why we do what we do? We do because we want to please and honor God. And if you're a guest with us or been here, maybe not for a while, and coming back, we're just so, so glad that you're here. And I just, I just want you to know from, from our heart here, our family that we really want this to be an authentic, real place that we're just trying to follow Jesus together, man. And none of us have it measured up. None of us are perfect. None of us are arrived. And if you're hurting, if you got issues and problems, I always say, you know, at the beginning of our Discovering God Bible studies that we do with folks, you know, just meeting the Lord, my name's Mike. I'm a recovering sinner. And I know who I am, but I know who he is. And he saved me by his grace. We were once lost, now we're found, and that's the one thing about coming to a service is we get to celebrate God, amen? amen? All right, have your Bibles ready to Luke chapter 13, 1 to 9. We're going to get there in just a second. If you're a guest with us, um, we've just been traveling through Dr. Luke's account, and I, I try not to reference some of these uh, accounts as stories. Well, let me tell you about the Bible story. Let me tell you what Jesus did in this story. They're not stories, they're real life accounts. They happened. They were authentic. They were credible. They had evidence behind them. And so this account that we're going to read today in chapter 13 is a good one. But I really want I really need you to be ready. Are you ready today? Because there's some tough words today that Jesus is speaking. And as you know, you've been part of our family for a while. This is not just about making you feel good. I don't want you just to feel good. I want you to get truth. I want you to hear truth, and I want you to meet God in a powerful way. And so sometimes that hurts a little bit because I need truth. Whenever I listen to sermons online, I listen to a lot of Bible studies and sermons because I got to get fed too. And I'm always, Lord, Lord, hit me where I need to be hit today. Change me. Help me, God, to hear you. And sometimes it doesn't always feel good. Well, we're not here to feel good. We're here to serve and love God. And then the feelings come later. All right. My wife and I, when we lived in Hawaii, oh, by the way, Pastor Brian, great job on just getting us familiar with the good things that are happening here at MVCC, so glad. Our youth department, children's department ministry, life groups are growing, there's good things happening. And uh, as uh, Pastor Brian mentioned, there are two folks that have got saved here at MVCC that give their lives to Jesus Christ and are getting baptized today. And I will just tell you this, and she said it was okay. She came to our church about a month ago. She sat right there in the middle a section on the left side She comes up one Sunday, a couple Sundays ago, and she says, um, she took a deep breath. You know, she hadn't been in church. And she says, I'm Jewish, and I've grown up Jewish. I go to Jerusalem every year. I have a personal rabbi. I read the scriptures. I've been brought up Jewish. But I got a lot of questions about this Jesus who's Jewish. And so you came to the right place. So we just started talking, and God really just took her heart captive, and she gave her life to Jesus Christ this week and she's getting baptized with her boyfriend today after second hour. So I know you first service folks, you guys are the spiritual crowd. You're up early in the morning ready to worship, but would you please pray? Would you please pray for them that when they come up out of that water, I want people to just know that this is family, and we are together, and we're here to walk with you beside you in our journey to follow Jesus. Amen? And my wife and I, I had the privilege of living in Hawaii for six years, and I can just, I loved, I love all of you to death, I love you, but I will say this, I loved also the congregation that we got to serve in Hawaii for many, many reasons, and um, it wasn't just all palm trees and sand, Uh, the Polynesian culture there is so unique and so different, it's loose, brother. Hey, hey, we just, we'll just get to it when we get to it. It's a little slower pace of life. People spend a little more time talking, getting deep with one another. It's not such a hurried and rushed place, which is much different from, you know, where we live here in the O.C., So uh, my wife and I, when we were there, we were both um, in school for our master's degrees, and so this is uh, during the time when I would literally, every January and June, I would fly back and forth to Hope International University to do two years of master's work. Then my wife, um, she attended U of H there to get her psychology and social work degree. And so as we were doing that, you can imagine, I'm sure, you know, if those of you may be in that space right now, trying to figure out how am I going to make rent? How am I going to rent a place in Mission Viejo when it's $3,000 a month for a one bedroom apartment? It's just crazy out there. So we were in that dilemma. So as um, we were just, you know, talking one day after services, and then some folks were praying with us about, I'm sure God's going to give you a place and it'll be fine. And you know, there's more month than the money. We were just newly married. We were married like two years, didn't know nothing. We were so dumb during those days. But I just remember, Remember, we were like, "What are we gonna do? We don't have enough money." The cost of living in Hawaii is about 30% higher here than, than Southern Cal. It's just extremely expensive. So, um, one of these, um, one of our brothers, and sisters, folks that we were just got to know about six months into the church, he had heard that we were looking for a place, um, and he says, "Hey, brother." He's a Samoan guy, about six four, big guy. I'll tell you, biggest heart, softest. I mean, you would not want to meet this guy down a dark alley. But I will tell you this. He had the softest, most gentle heart. We called him the gentle giant in our church. He just just warm-hearted. He came up to me and says, Hey, brother, I heard you're looking for a place to stay. Just come live with me, my wife and I. That's how they talk. They talked pigeon English. So I said, What you mean live with you? He goes, Yeah, just come live with me for free. You and your wife. You just live with us. Really? I had no idea what we were walking into. We packed all of our stuff, moved out of this little one-bedroom studio apartment because we couldn't afford it anymore. And we arrived with, you know, our stuff. We gave a lot of it away because we didn't want to just bring all of our stuff in there. So we arrived. I don't know if you've been to Oahu, but on Kahala Avenue, these huge houses on like two acres of land on the beach. I had no idea this is where he resided. I had no idea this is where he lived. And she danced in hulas and stuff, and he was a caretaker, come to find out, for this incredible property. So I just want you to go with me. I wish I had pictures of it. Are you ready? I want you to go with me into this place. These double gates open up into this estate that's on two acres of land. We walked in with our, you know, two suitcases, and as we walked in, on the right side is the caretaker's property, which is probably about 2,000 square feet of, of, of living space. Then over to the left, there's a huge driveway and a big parking garage with like enough for six cars. Then you move over to the left a little, you still with me? You move over to the left a little bit, this jacuzzi that is the size of my entire average swimming pool in Mission Viejo with rock, waterfalls, lights, palm trees in the back. This is the best part of it. I walked over about 20 yards and I looked over to my right and there is a grass tennis court (laughs) on the property. Don't have to share it with anybody. A grass tennis court. And then we moved over to the left behind the tennis court. And there, I'm not kidding you. It must have been about three quarters the size of this building. The swimming pool was three quarters the size of this place. It was just beautiful. Then we moved out past the uh, uh, swimming pool. And there's this grass park area. They had a launch pad for a Zodiac. You could go fishing. You could dock your boat up. I am just like, I looked at my wife, and we're like, is this happening? Have we died and gone to heaven? This is amazing. Now, here's the amazing thing about this whole thing. He was the caretaker for that property. He did not own that property. The owner lived in Japan and was only there two weeks out of the year. So he said, I need someone to take care of my property. Because of his love for Jesus, he and his wife, named were Foster and Rainy, Because of their love for God. And they had been so changed by Jesus. They saw us in trouble. Everybody say, we were in trouble. trouble. Oh, come on, you can do better. We were in trouble. One, two, three. We were in trouble. He had mercy on us and gave us love and grace. Never had to pay a penny of rent the entire two years that we were there. Now, I just want you to hold on to that. You got that scene? We're going to get back to it. There's a point to all this. Open your Bibles now to Luke chapter 13, 1 to 9. We're going to read this together. If you don't have your Bibles, I hope you have the Bible app. If you don't have the MVCC app, you can just download it right now for free. Gives you all the really cool things happening in MVCC. Sermon notes. Gives you everything you need for life. It's right there. Even the Bible's on there. Okay, but if you don't have it, that's all right. We'll just read here Luke 13, chapter 13, 1 to 9. Remember that we have great crowds, thousands of people that are gathered around Jesus now. Some of them really want to know who he is. Some of them are there to entrap him. And Jesus addresses a really difficult situation here in the 13th chapter. It's going to hurt a little bit, but you're ready, right? Okay, all right. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some of the people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Here's the question that they bring. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? I just need to stop here and say it sounds a little why are we talking about this the context of all this is that Pilate, who was the roman governor he was in power he was also next in succession to the right hand to caesar you can google all this really cool informational stuff so he was a political figure wanting to hold on to power he had literally taken the lives killed some galilean people and unfortunately as a mockery to god he had mixed some of the blood sacrifices offered by the jewish people with those that died i know it sounds kind of gross but that's just the way it is what happened and so therefore they were asking are those Galileans did they get what they deserve because it sounds like for everything that they got their death and the desecration of the blood mixed and all that stuff they must have been really bad people God must have punished them because of their sin that was the theology of the day if you did something bad God was going to punish you and those that died innocently they must have really been bad does that make sense I know none of us have that theology, but that was the theology of the day. God's always out to get you. Bad things happen to bad people. You still with me? Okay, number three then. Not at all. Jesus addresses it right away. I love the way Jesus talks. I just love he gets right to the point. There's no gray area. He doesn't hem-haw around it. This is truth, and this is the way it is. Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. Let's continue. And what about those 18 people who died? They're not convinced, so now they got another situation. These 18 people that a tower fell on the, near the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem killed 18 people. Those people must have really been bad. They really did something horrible. And when the tower of Siloam fell on them, were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again, that unless you repent, you too will perish. Now I just want to stop here and say, Jesus is not saying, we're going to get you. You better repent. Unless you repent, you're going to die. And I just want everybody to spend eternity away from me in destruction. That's not God's heart. What he's doing is he's laying down truth and saying, everybody needs Jesus Christ. Everybody needs salvation. Everybody's done wrong. We've all sinned. We've all done something bad. Would you agree? I mean, there's not one of us here that could say, I'm perfect. Every single one of us, Romans 3.23, have sinned, wrongdoing, and therefore God is saying everybody is in the same place. Sometimes just bad things happen to good people and to bad people. Make sense? Where'd we leave off? Number six. Okay, thanks, thanks. Okay, then Jesus told the story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. Now watch this. My my Bible translation says caretaker. You got this, You got the Hawaii story. Okay. The caretaker, the gardener, answered, "Sir, give it one more chance." Some of your Bibles may say, as this says, "Leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention and plenty." of that good old stuff, fertilizer baby, right? And if we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. Verse 10. Oh, that's it. (laughs) This is such a wonderful account. This is such good teaching. It's such strong teaching and it's so clear. It's so crystal clear for us in what Jesus is saying. Regardless of what kind of background we have, no matter what kind of social background, economic background, religious background, belief in God, gone to church, didn't go to church, belief in God, don't believe in God, all that stuff, we all have certain belief systems. And this comes out in the crowd that is now following Jesus and wanting to know, is he really who he said he is? And therefore, these questions come out, God, these people must have really been bad. Because these bad things happen to them. And that's kind of the theology that I think maybe some of us live with. Is that in Galilee, there's a picture here. I just wanted to show you where Pilate would have resided and had jurisdiction over. Jesus uh, was part of his hometown was here. This is a beautiful place. But even in the beautiful places, tragic tragedies can happen. Hurricanes, earthquakes, storms, people losing their life. And that's why this was coming up, because they were saying, man, these people must have really been bad. And there's another picture here of the tower, what it must have looked like that had fallen. This is near Jerusalem. There was a pool of Siloam, and there was a tower that literally literally fell on innocent people. Innocent people, their lives were taken from them. And so their thought process was, well, they must have really had trouble in their life. God is not trying to punish us. That's not his goal i can tell you before i gave my life to jesus christ i thought well if there is a god really didn't care to be honest with you because i was all about me me myself and i little me all i care about is that i'm here i got my life i know where i'm going well i thought i knew where i was going and i didn't really care about anything else but me and i thought well if there is a god certainly he's always mad at everybody and he wants to punish he delights in catching us doing something wrong but aren't you grateful that God doesn't reward us for what we deserve? Because if we got what we deserved, we wouldn't be here. The wonderful part of the story is that this account and stories that Jesus gave, we don't get what we deserve. Now, this parable that opens up is beautiful because Jesus, I love the way he teaches. He gives stories and parables so that the, the, the spiritual light will go on in their mind. You know when some of you that have children or grandchildren, and if you're, Thinking of having kids or you're thinking of getting married and those are just little things that you can pack away. These are powerful with your kids. When you want them to understand something, and I think we do this even though maybe without knowing that we're doing it. When we want them to understand something or capture an emotion, we'll say things like, you know when mommy does this? And they go, oh, yeah. You know when dad does this over here? Remember last week when we were doing this? Yeah, That's what that's like. And that's what Jesus does. He wants to captivate our heart, our soul, our mind, everything about us. And so these stories are windows into the truth that God has for us. I want you to think about that owner. He... He did everything possible to make sure that the vineyard was fruitful. He made sure that there was sunlight, water, fertilizer. It got the care. And the caretaker gave his life and his commitment to make sure that everything was thus and so because he wanted to bring about a fruitful harvest. But every time he came, there was this one fig tree that all it had was leaves. But the caretaker, here's here's the, 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 we just wrap this message together. The caretaker that was the one that pleaded, I believe pleaded with the owner and said, Don't do it. Don't cut this one down. Let me have one more chance at it. He had mercy. He had grace. He had forgiveness. Just like what we needed. God is the owner. The caretaker of our life, of our world, if you will, is Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and we are simply the tree. And the analogy is so simple. I mean, it's there, plain, plain on our face. We can see what God is trying to communicate to us. That we were on our way to destruction. Just because we've been separated by God, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. So the caretaker rises up and says, Father, no, no. We gotta give one more chance. We gotta give more time. I don't think it literally happened that way, but he's painting a picture for us to understand the power of the good news of the gospel. The gospel is good news. Can I remind us that the gospel is great news? If the gospel is not great news to you, my advice is to get to your knees as quickly as you can, even at this moment before the service ends. Get to your knees and turn your life over to Jesus. You will find as you authentically give your heart to God and ask him to forgive you of everything you've ever done wrong, wrongdoings, wrong thoughts, whatever we've done, that he'll forgive everything. He will free you. He will deliver you. Anybody here stuck in some kind of behavior, if there's anyone that feels handcuffed to some kind of sin or something that's that's, that's got a hold on you, Jesus can break those chains, man. I have seen alcoholics get sober and give their lives to Jesus Christ, and God freed them from it forever. It's just amazing the power of God. That's what he's trying to communicate is we were all on our way to destruction. And for any minute any of us, and this is going to be tough stuff, but I got to say it anyway. For those of us who have been raised in the church, we've been in church all our life. We know the songs, we know the protocol. We've taken 6086 uh, communion cups down our, over the course, the course of our life and we've been baptized 15 times and we got a certificate and we think we're all that. We're not. We're not. The church is in trouble when we make it all about us. It's all about me. I'm such a good Christian. God, aren't you glad to have me? And God is saying, no, I need repentance. I need you to stay in that atmosphere. You're not everything you thought you were. Everything is about God. I am the one who's good. In fact, Romans reminds us there is nobody that's good. Lest anybody sit in here today thinking, well, I'm pretty good myself. I'm I'm glad I'm not like that guy sitting over there. Jesus said there is none that is good. There's only one that's good. And he's not saying we're worthless. It's not saying we don't have any value. If anything, it's to the contrary. God loves you so much. There's so much value in you. He created you to be his, to know him, to walk with him, to love him back. He died. He came down to earth and he said, let me handle all this. Father, I will lay down my life willingly, passionately, from the heart because I love my people so much. I think that's what broke God's heart the most when Jesus was on earth and he looked over this beautiful city of Jerusalem of his people who were Jewish. They were called by his name. They were the ones that God led through the wilderness. Moses, Abraham, David, all the greats. And yet they were the ones that rejected the Messiah It must have broken the heart of God so much that Jesus wept. We have a God in heaven who understands your pain. He understands, he feels your emotion he was brokenhearted because the people had rejected him. And how many of people How many people in our life, we can see their lives spinning out of control, and we want so much. If they just surrendered their life to God, he could bring the peace and the love and the joy. He could restore that tree that looks like it's dead, but for, they just won't do it. Isn't that the most frustrating thing? thing to go through is we want so much for people to know and that's god's heart i hope it's your heart i hope if you're a part of our family you know that our vision is so simple here it really comes out of matthew 28 18 to 20 bringing people to relationship in jesus christ and making disciples who make disciples how are we going to do that jesus was extremely real he was he loved everyone and he was on mission, man. He lived the truth. He is the truth. He wants so. He wanted so much every person to have an opportunity to know his love, his kindness, and relationship. That's the point. The first point of this account, this real life story that Jesus is telling the people of the day. And so, what do we do? Number one problem is we all have a sin problem. What do we do? Come to Christ now. Give your life to God now. Don't, well, I'm thinking about it. Well, I'm praying about it. I. Don't, Just do it. What are you waiting for? I mean, really, there's nothing in the world that could compare to relationship with Jesus Christ. I know that. I've been on both sides of the fence. I never want to go back to the old life. I was so miserable, striving for myself, living for myself. It's the most miserable way to live. But once we accept Jesus, He frees us from all that. Man, I am so on mission to get to heaven where you are, God, because of grace. But, Lord, I know you have an assignment here. I just want to jump in and do whatever you're calling me to do, God. Now, problem number two. Problem number one wasn't that rough. Come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. That's a promise. Come. Is there anybody here that's tired? Anybody here that's weary? You can come to Jesus now, today, now. You can step into eternity right at this moment, now. We'll give you an opportunity to do that, but we got a, we got a second problem we got to work through. You ready? We're not done. we got to work through the second problem. Some trees don't bear fruit. So the Greek there means, as we read, taking up space. That's the way the owner saw it. You're taking up space among all these others that are bearing fruit. God's heart and God's passion is to be honest and real and upfront. Can I just be upfront and real with you on behalf of all of our pastoral team? Which, by the way, our pastors here—that that it is a privilege to serve you. It's a privilege to lead. Can I just say we did not come out of the womb pastors, clergy, collar around the neck holier than thou. We're sinners just like anyone else. It's just that when we got saved, we felt something happening in our heart that felt like we think we're supposed to do this full time. We get to do this full time. And God has a wonderful way of kind of just pulling us in. And we go in and we get a part of... Going to seminary, learning what it does to do to ministry. We get to do internships and we get to learn about what it means to serve people and what does it mean to lead the flock of God and help the lost become a part of what God is doing. All those wonderful things. Lest you think we're different than you, we're the same. We really are. We have families. We have marriages. Some of our staff are dating. They're thinking about getting married. We have lives just, we got mortgage payments. We have stresses of life. We're just like you. And though sometimes, I'll be honest, we look at the vineyard and sometimes it gets a little depressing because sometimes we see a few of the trees that are dying. And it's not that we're gonna give up on you. Of course, we don't have that here. No, no one here in MVCC is, is have just leaves and they're dying. But I just wanna say for other places, right? it can get a little discouraging. It feels like we're not moving. It feels like why don't they just surrender everything to Jesus and, and get into the word and get into prayer. Come to worship and get on service team. That's where you find the fulfillment and the growth that starts to happen. Cut it down. No, give it one more year. And that's to encourage you. If you're sitting here today, some of you have been here for years. Some of you, lest I say, you've been longer than I've been here. You've been here for many, many years, and you're just showing leaves. What do we do at Mission Christian Church? Oh, we come and sit in a seat. Oh, no, but what do you do there? We sit in a seat. No, I, I, what, but why do you? We sit, and we sit, and we sit. And then when the worship comes up, and Mary and Molly and the team, you can see their heart. You can see they just want us to gather into this, the, the, this experience with God. And this is what I call the OC worship stare, and the OC we stand and we sit. Now, I don't mean to bring any judgment. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be harsh with you. I'm just trying to be truthful with you. That if you find yourself feeling like, gosh, you know what? I don't know if I've been bearing any fruit in my life. God is the one who provides everything we need to grow. We just need to position ourselves. We don't have to grow ourselves. You don't have to tell your child, no, I want you to grow. Come on, grow, grow. You provide an atmosphere and nutrients and everything necessary, and the process just happens. Amen? The ground, if you're here and you're thinking, gosh, you know what? I really want to get growing. You're right. I just want to be humble. I just want to be humble, Mike. I just want to say, I'm not growing. Why then? Why is that happening? I believe because of one reason, one hardcore reason. That's because the ground is hard. The ground is hard. Do you remember last week I mentioned about in Africa there were two million people that came to a crusade, a gospel crusade? Pastor Renike preached this message all week to two million people and thousands gave their lives to Jesus Christ and they were asked one question, why does this happen here and not in the western United States? And he said, because they wanted it more. The ground was fallow, the ground was soft, the ground was pliable, there was sunlight and there was water, and there was fertilizer. There was the necessary nutrients so that there was growth. If you find yourself sitting here and thinking, gosh, I don't know if I'm really growing. I want to grow. Don't be bummed out about that. Let's go. Come on, make a decision. We got to turn, right? Now, we here at MBCC have been asking for God, and we will continue. To, I will continue to ask and be on my knees and fast and pray and ask you to join with me. We want to see a massive revival happen to His church. When we say revival, we're not talking about pitching a tent in the middle of some parking lot and just having a really cool service and everybody gets really hyped up and goes home. Revival is something that happens to us. We don't do revival. God brings a revival. And one of the secret ingredients of a revival and what it looks like is that there's a return to massive, internal, life changing prayer. If you find yourself just aching to be in prayer, you're driving down the road and you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he's saying, I want you to converse with me. I want you to tell me your heart. I want you to tell me what you're frustrated about. Give me your dreams, your hopes. I want you to talk to me. I want an interaction with you. God always draws his people to extraordinary prayer before he brings the revival. The second thing that always happens in any revival that God brought is there's a return to genuine repentance The people of God realize, I have been wrong. I've been holding attitudes. I've been complacent. I've been prideful. I've had thoughts that are not right. And God, help me to turn from those things. Help my heart to be soft. I don't want to fight you anymore, God. I surrender, God. The next thing that happens in any biblical revival is there's a genuine return to worship. And I'm not just talking about 20 minutes of service. Although I would love to see our service become just a Holy Spirit-filled party where we are standing, clapping, like I've seen you do at concerts. I've seen you at Dodger Stadium. I've seen you stand up and high-five, throw popcorn, throw... Not beer, but Coke everywhere. And everyone gets splattered with all this stuff because your favorite hero hit a home run and your team won. But what it is about church, I don't know, that we don't get excited about. I just think we should be able to be dancing and jumping and clapping. And isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't he great? That revival God wants to bring. Here's the last thing that just gets my motor going. Every time there was a true biblical revival that was always, always an ingathering of lost people. People that are hurting, dying, lost, confused, stuck in addiction, stuck in problems, just like all of us were, and all of a sudden there's this huge attraction, the Holy Spirit is bringing people back in to the church, but the church changes first, we change first. That's what the essence of what he's saying. There are two problems in this text. As humanity, we are all lost and we all need Jesus. We got him. Amen, right? And if you haven't, we're going to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus now. Well, I've been in church all my life. I kind of did the... I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about receiving Jesus. I'm talking about weeping over your own sin, realizing you need him desperately. And the second problem is those of us who think, well I already did that. I'm good, I'm cool. I'm going to heaven. I got grace, mercy and love and I just love my church and I'm just here every Sunday but the rest of you can go to hell. <gasps> Ooh, that was offensive, but isn't that the truth? We can get so complacent. Oh, there was a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15 about two sons. And the son took everything from the father and left and squandered it, hated his father, left everything. His father was sick every day, couldn't wait for his son someday to come home. He finally comes home. But the real sadness of that story was the older brother. You never gave me a party. I've worked my tail off here. You never gave me nothing. And that's sometimes what the church people are like. We fall into a place of complacency where we think we deserve everything. We think God should give us this. And we have a sense of entitlement. And don't tell me we don't because we live in the OC. And I'll tell you, I'm the first one that gets caught up in this entitlement thinking I deserve it. And God is saying, I'm not attracted to that. That is not where I'm going to land my Holy Spirit. And you can do church, and you can do life group, and you can do everything you do, just going through the motions. But you have missed my heart. You have missed the passion of what it means to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And that changes life. That's the essence of what he's trying to say in this parable, is that the people of God are the ones that need to change first. Stop. Pointing at the LGBTQ, you need to get your life together. Transgender, get your life together. Homosexuals, get your life together. Heterosexuals, you're sleeping around, you're getting drunk, you're doing all this stuff. How come you guys go to Vegas and just all this stuff? If the world would get it right, get it right, world. Stop doing that. Jesus didn't do that. He did that against the religious leaders, but he had compassion, love, and mercy, which is the best part of the story. The caretaker took us in. The caretaker had mercy on my wife and I. We got to experience all of this two acres of Hawaii. It was like being in paradise. It was the next best thing to Disneyland. And we got to experience all that because of his mercy and his grace. He never charged us for anything. And that's what God is saying to you today. But it requires one thing, one thing. He said it twice in verse three. He said it again in verse five. You too need to repent Turn. 2 Chronicles 7:14 says, if my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and then I will heal their land. God is looking for you. He's not looking for us, he's looking for you, and he's looking for one person. Abraham in Genesis chapter 13. God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember that? You remember the city? They were so wicked. They were so vile. God was going to destroy them. And Abraham steps up and says, God, no. If I could find 50 people that are righteous, will you spare the city? Okay, I'll do 50. Will you, if we can find 45, will you do it? And he goes down to 30 and 20. And finally, God's mercy and his love. He says, if you can find 20 people, I'll spare the city. The only thing about that is that Abraham was pleading with God. How many of us are willing to plead God for one soul that lives next door to you? Pastor Mike, stop getting your eyes on yourself all the time and what you don't have and what's not good about your life and why don't you have a bigger church and why don't you have a bigger budget and why can't we do this and why can't we... Stop! It's my church. It's my people. I have called you to serve. I have called you to lead. I've called you to do what I asked you to do and I've called you to be humble. You trust me. And in your world, there are people that I've placed, where are the salvations? Where's the fruit? Where are the people that God has placed in your life? He's looking for one secret ingredient, and that is simply obedience. And it comes through a heart of humility. So we got to wrap this up. I just have some questions for you in the action points. I really want you to do this. If you please would write this down or just keep a mental note or put it in your phone inside the seat back in front of you, there's a place for you to write it down. Action point number one, I really want you to do this and I don't want you to just do it quickly now. I want you to take some time and do it when just you and God, I want you to make an inventory of your life and see if there's anything, anything in your life that you need to turn from that's not of God. And I want to ask you to genuinely, genuinely do this. As we do this together, I guarantee this. If our heart's in it and we're willing, God will do something here in our services where he lands his presence on us and church life will be so much different. Community will be so much different. Your life in Jesus Christ will be so much different. I want you to make, secondly, a list of people in your life who are under the false impression that God is punishing them through the calamity that they might be experiencing, and to simply pray for them. Right? There's some people that aren't of the false theology in your life. God's out to get me. He's not out to get you. Jesus said, come to me. If you knock, I will answer. Jesus invites us in. I want you to tell people that. I want you to tell people how God has been so good to you that you're willing to communicate that. You're willing to invite. You're willing to pray with somebody. You're willing to just be there in the presence of somebody that's lost and during. Dying and hurting. Now, I just want to wrap up with some questions and then we'll be done. Lest we think, well, this really doesn't apply to me. Am I consciously or unconsciously creating an impression that I am better than I really am? Can I be trusted? Am I self conscious, self pitying, or self justifying? Did the Bible live in me today? When did I last speak to someone about my faith in you, Lord? Do I pray about the money that I spend? Am I defeated in any part of my life? Am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable, touchy, distrustful? Am I proud? Do I thank God that I'm not like other people? Is there anyone here who feels like I fear? I dislike, I disown, I criticize, cut you off, hold a resentment toward anyone for any reason? Do I grumble or complain constantly? Is Jesus Christ really real to me? God, I thank you. (laughs) As convicting and sometimes just, oh, this hurts. I'm thankful. I'm thankful because you reminded us today you are a God of mercy. You don't cut us off. As long as we're breathing, Jesus, we know there's still time. And my prayer, God, today is simple. Thank you, God, for the caretaker. (laughs) Thank you for Jesus. God, if there's anyone here today, right now, right in this moment, you know what, Mike? I don't know. I really don't know if I'm saved, I'm here, I've been at church, but I don't know. We can, we can do this right now. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. You just pray this in your heart, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender my life. Please forgive me, God, for those wrongdoings. And Lord, I'm thankful that you died on a cross, <laughs> that you rose again. And I thank you that you're coming back. I receive you now. I accept you now. And God, for those of us who do already know you, convict us, God, how we can turn and be right with you once again. And thank you for the reminder. Thank you for the reminder that you are merciful, compassionate, and loving. In Jesus' name, amen this time in the service is just a very quiet, solemn I'm going to ask that there's just no movement at this time because this is a moment that we just get to spend quietly with the Lord so there are some communion uh, elements there in the seat back front of your seat and I really want to ask you to take that, if you're a believer we invite you to do this to just take that juice and it's a picture once again of we are forgiven through the cross and the bread that represents Jesus who was born into this world, grew up in the carpenter shop, went to rabbinical school, followed the law and followed his father's heart in obedience to laying down on the cross for you and for me. That's, isn't that what life is all about? What he did for us. So I just want to invite you, just bring your heart to him these few moments and then we'll we'll close in worship. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.